You're listening to the Teach Better Talk podcast featuring expert educators eager to share progressive tactics to reach more students. Teach Better Talk is created by teachers and fueled by passion. Let's get started. Welcome to episode 186 of Teach Better Talk. My name is Ray Heward, and as always, I'm with that other person that also co-hosts the Teach Better Talk podcast with me, Mr. Jeffrey Gargas. Jeff, how are you? I'm great. Uh, The other person that that might actually be one of the nicer things you said to me, to be real. I mean, I'm just trying to be accommodating. I know you're here too, and I want to make sure our listeners know that you apparently make an appearance every so often. Well, thanks. I'm excited. Uh, I'm 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 good. I'm great, actually. This was a great episode. I'm really excited for people to listen to it. Pumped up about it. I, I know we found out right before we went live, or right before we got on with Jen, that like you guys apparently have you know hung out before, and I'm like, oh, third wheel over here. But okay, after dramatic- hearing after hearing her podcast, though, you understand why I'm connected to her because she is a talented Absolutely. educator. Yes. So like, I don't even care that I was the third wheel because it was a great. The, there was one I was like, wow, like I had to like take seconds. I'm like so much of what she said connected. And I'm like, holy cow. Like, and then she kept pulling these little things out. I'm like, are you reading from the teach better handbook that I did? That doesn't exist that I thought maybe did like, uh, and then just, yeah. So I really, really enjoy it. And her passion that she talks about and her stories, uh, great, great episode. So I, I want to get to that quickly here. Um, before we do that, something awesome, other, something else that's awesome. Other, I don't, whatever, something else that's awesome uh that's going on that we're kind of in the process of celebrating right now is our really good friend jennifer apple's new book jennifer apple it's a super cool book uh that's looks to me like it's going to be adorable and also super valuable and a lot of fun um can you just because you've been a little more you've been closer to the project with her i know you've gotten to see more of the book than I have. So I'm hoping, can you share just a little bit about Jen's upcoming book with us? I would love to, but I just want the entire world to know that you are completely not representing the book well because it is a co-authored book. So Jennifer Apple- I'm sorry, I apologize. Yes. Maya, I'm so sorry. Exactly. Jennifer Apple wrote the book, co-authored the book with Maya Apple, her puppy. Come on, Jeff. And- and I remember, like, you can get a signed copy and Maya signing them, too. I know. Oh, my gosh. Like, it's so cute. Jennifer, <laughs> so, all right. I'll, I'll so tell you So it's going to be cute. It's adorable. But it's tell adorable. us about the book. Okay. So Jennifer Apple is an amazing educator. Her, obviously, on the Teach Better team. You guys all know Jen. But her dog, Maya, if you don't follow Maya on Instagram, just make that a thing that you should go do right now and then come back to this episode <laughs> because, holy cow, is that a cute dog. But they wrote a book called Award-Winning Dog, and they did this beautifully because Hans Apple, her husband, and also Maya's father, right, um, wrote the award-winning culture book that just came out. I think we just talked about it on the podcast. So they wrote a children's book for that same idea, understanding the idea of the three questions they cover in the award-winning culture book that Hans wrote. So this is the perfect way for you as an educator to really dive into culture and then be able to explain it to your children at home, be able to use it as a mentor text in the classroom. It's the cutest children's book out there. And I love that this is the first of a series. So they really are trying to reach our children, whether it be like the second graders you're reading it to, or even I've used children's books as a mentor text in my own sixth grade classroom. So I'm so excited. And let me just tell you, Jeff, 
I am a huge Maya puppy fan because you know I love dogs. <laughs> but the illustrations in this book are so spot on. Like this is not only a children's book that's well written talking about how to be an award-winning dog, the characteristics of an award-winning dog that mirror the characteristics of an award-winning person, but also there's amazing illustrations throughout this entire book and a lot of surprise characters that are all based on real characters in the real life. So I am so excited for Jen, for Jen and Maya on this brand new book. I can't believe it's coming out July 9th. Like it's so soon. July 9th. That's July like 9th. really soon. Okay, so I have a That's sneak. Awesome. Uh, I have sneaky details for our podcast listeners. Ooh, can I ooh, spill? Yeah, let's do it. Spill okay. the beans. Spill them. You you can get the book on July 9th uh, over on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. Like, feel free to go do that. Great, easy spot to buy it, right? But if you go to awardwinningculture.com, which is like Hans and Jen's website, you can get a copy of the book at I think a cheaper value. But really, the best part is that you get free stickers with it. And they have so many cute stickers that go with this children's book. So I'm kind of like pushing people like go to award winning culture because I kind of have a feeling you'll get like a an awesome little package made by Jen and Maya signed copy versus if you just go to Amazon, it's just a children's book. So I don't know. That would just be my my sneaky tip I know from Jen. I like it. I love it. Shout out to you, Jen. You're awesome. Maya, you're awesome too. This is great. Yeah. Go check out the book. Uh, so let's talk about another Jen who's awesome. Let's do it. And that's Jen Manley, our, our, our guest on the episode today. So Jen is Jen Manley is a computer science uh, shared master teacher at the uh, Terrapin Teachers Program at the University of Maryland. Uh, so she teaches computer science uh, to, at, at both the high school and college level. Uh, as, and she does an inquiry-based uh, course at the university as well. Um, what I really thought was cool is that prior to all of her, her career as a teacher – Jen had kind of a crazy ride getting there, uh, and I'm not going to touch too much into it because she she goes through it. But uh, I really enjoyed her kind of going through the different roles she's had, the different careers she's kind of tested out, and different positions she's been in, and how she learned from each one. That was one of the parts of her story that really grabbed me and really uh, brought me in. Um, but uh, we talk a lot about we talk about the failure and how it's helped her get there. We talk about creating a culture uh, where learning is fun, which I thought was great. How she talked about. Uh, she talks about how just how, what learning should be and about how it should be jo uh, joyful, how kids should enjoy uh, learning. They should want to learn, and that's our goal is that we should be facilitating the learning so they can understand how to learn regardless of where it takes them. So uh, I'm super excited about that. Uh, she was a lot of fun, so much value here. Anything you want us to, to focus in on, uh, Ray? Just make sure that this is not the only time you're connecting with Jen. Go follow her on social media. Keep connected. She loves talking shop. Let this only be the beginning, guys. This is a great educator to connect with. Now let's get into episode 186 with Jen Manley. Hey, guys. It's Ray. We're going to get right back to the episode. But I do want to give a special shout out to all the amazing educators who are participating in the Grid Method July cohort. Woohoo! So much fun. This amazing cohort is an, a group of educators who are working together all through the month of July to design specific content grids ready for their students coming this August. If you are not familiar with the grid method mastery framework, you can absolutely learn more at teachbetter.com slash the grid method. But a special shout out to this webinar group because they are educators working so hard this summer to make sure that their content is accessible to students and mastery focused. So, so appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening. And let's get back to this episode. 
All right, we are here. We are chatting with Jen Manley. And Jen, it's so awesome to chat with you. I just found out that apparently you and Ray are like BFF and I'm not even supposed to be in this conversation uh, and that you're changing the world of education. So I'm super excited to talk to you. I was already excited, but now I'm like, it's like a whole other level that we jumped here. So uh, before we get too far into learning about you and your story and everything you got going on, how are you feeling right now? Um, you know, I'm feeling pretty good. I feel like I have made it through the first round of pandemic teaching and so ready to take on, ready to take on the world, you know? Jen, I'm so glad you're here. I was looking at our lineup that we were recording for tonight because our listeners know we record on Monday evenings. And I was like, oh my gosh, Jen, we have not talked in forever. It's so good to see your face. And I'm so excited to dive into our podcast, especially because we've chatted before, but I don't know your whole story of education. So I feel like I'm going to just learn so much. Before we get into all that, though, I want to make sure our listeners kind of learn a little bit about what you're doing. I know it's changed and you're just continuously doing great things. So how do you even begin to answer that question of what you do? Yeah. So I think before I kind of explain what I do, I have to preface this by saying that I am not a career teacher. I did not get a degree in education. I got a degree in political science. I thought I was going to be a lawyer until I broke down um, junior year trying to cram for a con law exam. Um, but what I love most about teaching is I feel like in our roles, we get to empower students to do work that matters now. And I feel like we're at a point in education where the kids want to do meaningful work. They have ideas about how they'll change their communities and the world. And we as teachers have this awesome opportunity to give them the tools and to curate experiences to help steer them towards the things that they want to accomplish. That is an awesome way to look at it. I love that you say that you have the empower that you empower students to do work that matters now. Uh, that's super cool the way you phrased that. Um, let's. Uh, I want to do like a. We're gonna do a little story time here, uh, and have you share a story with us about a time. You know, one of the things we talk about on this podcast a lot is is failure and overcoming failure and what we learn from it. Uh, I'd love to have you share a story with us about uh, about the time you've had a failure, a challenge, like that you had to overcome. Kind of take us there with you. What happened? How did you overcome it? And then what did you take away from that experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, when you ask that, I always tell people that I I feel like a lot of the reason that I've been able to be successful is because I'm very comfortable with failing. And um, I mean, like a short story, and then I'll tell you about a professional failure. Um, but when I was 11 years old, uh, my claim to fame is that I was on Kids Jeopardy. Like with Alex Trebek, I was on Kids uh, Jeopardy. No kidding. Yeah, yeah. It was awesome. Yeah, I had a red power suit. Like I <laughs> looked the part. I got on the show, and um, and I lost everything on the final question. And I cried on national TV. And they reran it like five times. So I feel like I'm pretty comfortable with failure because from an early age, I learned that with failing, like even with all that happening, they still gave me a trip to Hawaii. Like I still got a trip to Hawaii for being the loser on Jeopardy, right? So this idea of failing, right, and still having um, some success that comes along with it. Um, but I actually tell people failing is the reason that I discovered teaching, 
um, and that that was what I was supposed to be doing for the rest of my life. So um, I had six jobs before I became a teacher. And for the first one, I landed this dream role where I worked for my national sorority and I traveled the country um, basically living on a different college campus every week for a year. And in that role, I got to mentor college students and facilitate leadership trainings. And it was truly challenging and fulfilling every day. And I was constantly learning about myself and growing. And I like to tell people that that job set me up to never be okay in a normal like nine to five job, right? So after that job, I held six different positions. I was a food runner, an administrative assistant. I worked at Lululemon. I was an educational consultant in the higher ed space. I was a medical credentialist and I sold juice out of a Ford Transit um, <laughs> to grocery department people. And um, I never was able to stay in a position for longer than eight months. And in the medical credentialing job, I literally would sit there and spend eight hours a day copying medical practitioner resumes into the software. And the company was wonderful. People loved working there, but I found myself crying in my car at lunch because I just didn't want to go back to work. And it made me feel like this huge failure because I was four years out of college um, at that time in the fifth job that I hated, craving doing more meaningful work. And I just felt so stuck. And so I ended up hiring a career coach who helped me distill times in those failed jobs that I really felt like I was at my very best. And all of those times were times where I was teaching or coaching or helping other people learn. And, you know, a couple of examples of this, I led new employee orientation for a restaurant group and I loved that. And at the time, I was a girls on the run coach and I would get up um, two night, two days a week early and go coach girls. And it was just the best. And she helped me to see that these are the things that I was missing that I had experienced in that first job out of college. Um, and it was funny because when I told my parents that I was working with this career coach and she suggested pursuing teaching, my parents were like, we've told you that you should be a teacher your entire life. <laughs> and I just, I guess, had never, I had been so focused on being a lawyer until that wasn't what I wanted to do anymore. And I just didn't pick up on these strengths that other people saw in me. And so after failing at six different jobs over four years, um, I started researching becoming a teacher. I went to Anne Arundel Community College and I took classes there towards certification. I was hired as a substitute um, and I loved it. And I was hired to teach tech ed mid-year. Um, and what I found was that these facilitation skills that I had been honing and developing through all of these jobs that I didn't like, and you know, it was like the bright spot in those jobs, that's the future of education, right? Like educators now are expected to be facilitators. They are not expected to be the people who are the experts. They're expected to help students find and curate the best information. And so I guess from all of that, I take away the number one, you have to have support when you're when you're going through something like that. And 
it's worth it to invest if you feel stuck. I also look back and I see so much value in those jobs that I failed in, despite not having a great time in the moment. Um, It helps me to identify my strengths. I think it's important that people lean into their strengths and, you know, ask other people to help you identify them or remind you of them when you are struggling to see them in yourself. And then, you know, I feel like I always share with my students that even when you fail, there's always something to be gained from that. Um, Even if, you know, in the moment you're like, I never want to really relive this again. Wow. Um, There's so much in there that I love. Uh, this talking about the the multiple different positions right knows where I'm going with this that I because I had a lot of different things that I've done prior prior to what I do now and and I always kind of I always say that you know one of the reasons we have this question I always talk about is the fact that like I didn't necessarily enjoy those failures in the moment but when I look back I still learn from them every day and I love how you talked about and I don't talk about this as much but I think I should more is the fact that I look at all those little failures like they were all little signs trying to tell me where I was supposed to go and I didn't necessarily see them. And the years were all these little things that were telling you teaching was where you're supposed to go. It yes. took a long time to get there. It took actually, you know, took a, an outside source, a coach to help you see it, right? And help you view it differently, help you look back at those failures and see all those little signs. But they, but then also then once you got into there, you realize not only did you love it, but you also realize that all those failures, quote unquote, all those turns that you had to take along the way to get there, we're all just getting you ready to be better suited for that position. And that's how I felt about everywhere I've got. So like speaking to me, like so crazy in my language, it's, it's insane. And then touching on the fact that teachers need to be facilitators. Uh, that's just speaking our language here as well. So I'm loving that. That was, that was fantastic. So let's, let's, let's flip this around now. Let's talk about a successful moment you had, and this can be something big or something small, but take us there with you again. What happened? Why was it a success for you? And then what'd you take away from that experience? Yeah, um, it's hard to pick just one, Uh, but I guess the first time that I really felt validated as a teacher, and looking back now, it's a silly reason to feel validated, um, but I got a perfect evaluation once for my formal observation. And the reason that it felt like such a a success was not because of the rating, but because I really felt like the students got what I wanted them to get out of the lesson. And it was just the, the, what they experienced was this pure joy of learning. And I felt like my principal at the time rewarded me for creating a culture where learning is fun. Um, and so, I guess I'll tell you a little bit about that lesson. It's something that I've, um, you know, kind of gotten into since doing it for the first time. So I mentioned earlier, my degree is in political science and geography. I don't know if I mentioned it. I teach computer science. So not necessarily naturally aligned. Um, I did take a bunch of computer science classes in college, uh, which helps me to get certified to teach computer science. But when I was at Georgia, one of the best and most impactful classes that I took was this classics class that I had signed up for because it was a requirement. So the professor, and her name is Dr. Christine Albright, she still teaches there. If you go to Georgia, you should take her class. Um, But she taught the entire course as an immersive experience. So the Roman culture class that I took, 
The objective was for us to read and understand ancient Roman literature. And she taught the entire semester as if we were actually in ancient Rome after the death of Julius Caesar. So we were assigned characters and we had motives. So it was basically like we were playing this murder mystery game the entire semester. And oh, by the way, also reading ancient Roman literature, right? And I loved it. I ended up taking another course from her, Greek culture, despite it not having any purpose for my grade. And it was one of the major times that I can think of in college where I was just learning because it was fun. And I think that that's something that's so important to you know, bring to our students. And so my first full year of teaching, because I started halfway through the year, the first year, quote unquote, I was teaching. So my first full year, I learned that my formal observation was set to fall on a day where I had planned to introduce a new project. So very important, but not exactly the most engaging for students to sort of learn and get into teams. And so I made the decision to shift around my calendar and not start the project until a couple classes later. And instead, I picked the Caesar Cipher, which is a one-day standard in the middle school computer science curriculum. So this lesson in this curriculum that I had was essentially using paper ciphers to work through a series of worksheets, which is just not that engaging um, for most students. And so instead, I created this immersive experience that transported students back in time to World War II England and had them have personas as different cryptographers that actually existed, um, like Alan Turing, uh, and they were at the government's code and cipher school. And our mission is to break the German Enigma machine to decode locations of German U-boats, which if you've seen the imitation game, it's a scenario that they play out. Um, but the students learned to use the Caesar cipher, but they also had to apply their knowledge of math to be able to uncover the shift. They learned history. They experienced what it may have been like for them to be cryptographers. I like to say that this is kind of like I gave them this field trip. I let them experience empathy without going anywhere. Right. And so we go through this whole simulation. They discover that the German Wolfpack is encroaching on the passenger ships and they have to decide, and these are sixth graders, they have to decide if we should let the ship sink, the passenger ship sink, and maintain our knowledge that we've broken Enigma, or if we should alert the passenger ships and risk the Germans finding out that we have broken their top secret code. Um, and so, we ended up after that, they you know left for the day and the next day was all a Socratic seminar where we talked about the ethics of information, particularly in times of war. And it was so cool because it was a topic where many of them disagreed, but they were able to then leave the classroom still talking about this lesson and engaged in discourse that, you know, they may not always agree on. So a couple of takeaways from that, right? It's not it's not that I was scored high by the principal, right? It's that learning is supposed to be joyful. It is joyful in real life. Um, you know, as adults, we get into careers where hopefully we are passionate about still learning or we find hobbies where we're passionate about still learning. 
And so we have to give kids the opportunity to both have fun and learn. And when they do that, we reinforce this idea that learning is supposed to be joyful. Um, I think it's also really important for teachers to know that their curriculum is a guide, but teaching is an art. And if you're teaching directly from the guide, your students are not getting the best of you, right? They're not getting what makes you great at, at your job. Um, and so, you know, our job is to make standards and objectives come alive in authentic ways. It is the most fun part of our job. Um, and yeah, that's why it was so successful because the kids loved learning. And I felt like, I felt like I was making learning fun and engaging for them. Oh, Jen, you know that I love this stuff, right? Like, yes. You know that yes. anytime you were talking about immersing students into the real world purpose of their learning and engaging them, like, holy moly, are you speaking my language here, Jen? Oh my gosh. So with all these different pieces that you've done, and let me just tell you, you not only speak this way, you're so articulate and so passionate. You are the same way, whether you're in a podcast recording or chatting on the phone or doing an Instagram story. I just love connecting with you because you're really rooted in what all your stories have shared on, right? Like really purposeful, engaging moments. I, I love this, but I have to know that with everything you're doing, all these different failures, successes, I mean, oh my God, I feel like I'm just sucked into these ideas. What is keeping you excited right now about education, all that you're doing? Like where, where's this fire coming from? Yeah. So I, I mentioned earlier, I'm a computer science teacher. And one of the things that I am so passionate about is leading the initiative to diversify tech through computer science education. So what we know about computer science, right? Like tech, very, very non-diverse, right? There, there's few women in tech. Um, there are way fewer uh, Black and Latinx women in tech. They're very underrepresented in the space, which is really important because the people who design the tech dictate how the tech works. And as our world becomes more and more dependent on these technical and coded solutions, everybody has to have a seat at the table. It is really important that teams in tech are diverse so that everybody's needs are represented. And so I just recently this year moved into a role where I am teaching um, two sections of high school computer science. And then I'm also teaching at the University of Maryland. And one of the classes I get to teach is the 100 person introductory computer science for non-majors course. And I am so excited about bringing the work that I've learned and been doing and all of the pedagogical things from K-12 education into the university space. So in a university course, most of the time, these large lecture classes are taught like lectures, right? And so I got into this class that I was supposed to be teaching this semester, um, and I did teach this semester in the spring, and it was my first time teaching it. And I surveyed the students on day one, and I found that 80% of the students in the class 
had never taken a computer science class before. And so immediately I knew that it was important to make sure that the teaching methods that I was using in that course were aligned with research-based best practices for recruitment and retention of female, Black, and Latinx students, right? Because this is their first shot at computer science. It's the first time they're experiencing it. And what research tells us is that it's really important that in those early experiences, particularly underrepresented groups, need to feel a sense of belonging, they need to feel supported, and they need to see themselves in the space. And so I'm really excited because we made some pretty big structural changes over the last semester. I brought in um, peer coaching, I incorporated opportunities for feedback, we did a lot of group work versus individual work. Uh, I eliminated late penalties, which is something that I think most college students don't experience in their college classes, but I think is a really important thing um, to align with this mastery learning idea. Um, and so I'm excited for this summer because now I have all of this student feedback after that first iteration of the course, and I get to make it even better. And I get to bring in some of this self-pacing mastery learning um, that we know works in K-12 education and probably would work in college education too. And not probably would work because it's just how people learn, right? And then I guess similarly on the, on the larger scale, I am pumped about the opportunities that COVID has created in the education space. It was a really rough semester, I think, for a lot of people and for a lot of students. But I think that we've exposed problems that now right? It's we're, we're forced to innovate and we are forced to fix problems that already existed before COVID. But now there's some motivation to change it. Um, and I was recently listening to this episode of How I Built This with the founder of Shake Shack, which is one of my favorite podcasts um, outside of the ed space. But one of the things he said was that in business, problems are opportunities. And I think that we have to look at education that way too. So we have this tremendous opportunity to rethink these damaging ideas that only the teacher is capable of delivering content, that all students have to progress towards learning at the same pace, um, and to really have difficult conversations about the inequities that have existed in education before COVID, but are now exacerbated by that unplanned switch to distance learning. So I'm excited about how education will shift towards this personalized, curated learning experience that really empowers students to drive their own learning and growth. I love this, Jen. You've commented on so many different pieces that I feel like I'm just like in the background recording, like with my hands up, like, yes, 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 that's awesome. And especially, I mean, like, geez, with the Teach Better Mindset, there's so many different pieces that I wholeheartedly support a lot. I mean, it, literally everything you listed, but I'm so excited you're bringing mastery learning into a uh, higher ed course because I know that, that I'm so confident that works because I've done it when I have opportunities to be at Illinois State, but also just being able to coach educators to use mastery learning because that is how we learn. And I love that you made that such a focal point of all the other things you also mentioned. I do want to know though, question five is always, 
and easy go-to. And you've shared so much advice already, to be completely honest. Like I know people are going to have to re-listen to this twice to get all the snippets. But what is your piece of advice that you would give a new teacher, a veteran teacher, whoever is listening to ensure that they carry this mindset that you've been sharing all podcast episode long of really being a progressive educator that's student-focused? Yeah. Um, you know, everybody always talks about relationships. And one of the things that always strikes me is it's like we, we tell people that relationships are important, and they are. But we have to talk about what it means to develop strong relationships with students. And I think that the best thing, if I were to tell an educator that's coming into their career, or maybe they had their first year and they're, they're you know, still early and they're trying to figure out how to be better, um, the best way that you can build strong relationships and the best thing you can do for your students is to be willing to be as vulnerable with them as they are with you. So, our students are balancing so much, right? They're growing up, they're navigating their social lives. They have to shift their focus and adapt to different expectations and content, sometimes seven different times a day for seven different teachers with seven different sets of expectations. In every single class, we want them to be willing to fail, get over their frustrations, keep trying when things are hard, get A's, right? We, we want them to do all of these things. And I think that it's critically important that teachers acknowledge that it is very difficult to be a student. It is tremendously, it takes, it takes a tremendous amount of vulnerability. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of tenacity just to show up and do your best each day, right? Like our students are showing up and being vulnerable and we have to meet them with vulnerability. So to me, for a teacher, First and foremost, you have to be willing to own your mistakes and you, you have to be willing to apologize when you're wrong. If, if you make a mistake with a student, when you figure out that you've made a mistake, you have to apologize, right? And if we're having a tough day, if we're not showing up 100%, it's okay to tell them that. It's okay to say, hey, you know what? I'm really drained today. And it has nothing to do with you. I am here, I'm showing up, but I just need you to know that I need a little bit of extra grace today, right? Because I'm having a tough day outside of class. And then I think the most fun one is to tell students when you don't know an answer to something. And when you share that, when you share that you might not know an answer to one of their questions, you have this amazingly powerful moment to model authentic inquiry, informal research, and this willingness to grow and learn. And, you know, I think that a lot of times, and, and my experiences are as a middle school and high school teacher, we're coming in with our content knowledge and we are passionate about our content, but we have to remember that our students, not all of our students, and probably not most of our students, are going to go into that same field when they graduate high school or college or whatever level of education they go through. But if we can teach them how to be passionate about learning and how to you know, get excited about being excellent, that translates into whatever it is they're going to do career-wise, but also as a member of their community, right? As a family member and the hobbies that they pursue. So I would say number one piece of advice is be willing to be vulnerable and be willing to model authentic inquiry. You know, I love that. I love the idea of 
the vulnerability, but also the, just this idea of, of, of teaching them how to love learning and teaching them want to be excited about learning, regardless of where that takes them and, and what the content is. I think that's, that's so, so important. So really enjoyed that. Uh, let, let's, let's keep having some fun here, but we're going to put you to the test now. All right, I'm ready. We're going to do the next six questions. Your goal is to answer each one in 15 seconds or less. Great. All I right. Can do it. What is one ed tech tool you cannot live without? Trello. If you are not on Trello, it is not specifically ed tech, but it is great for organizing work between teams and making work visible. Uh, give us a book you're reading right now. I have two. I am reading A Whole New Mind by Daniel Pink. Um, his book Drive is my number one must read for every teacher. And then I'm also reading and working through Me and White Supremacy by Leila Saad. Uh, who do we need to follow on uh, social media today? So the three that I would suggest, Dr. Nikki Washington, uh, Victoria Thompson, and Charity Freeman, they're all doing amazing work um, on Twitter with regards to equity in education. Uh, what's a good YouTube channel or website for educators? Crash Course, um, very quick, well-produced, and informative videos on pretty much every topic, and it's great for differentiation. Give us a daily, weekly, or monthly routine every teacher should get into. All right. So daily routine, identify your three highest priority tasks, work on those first. Teacher to-do list is literally never ending. So prioritizing and doing that, which is most important first is key. And then real quick monthly, I would say teachers have to get in the habit of getting feedback from your students um, and acting on that feedback. And what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? My mom always told me that if you don't apply for something, the answer is always no. So many times we disqualify ourselves from opportunities because we don't even put our name in the hat. So if you want something, you should go for it. And worst case scenario, you're just getting a no, which you may have gotten anyway if you hadn't applied. Mike, Mike drop. That's what that is. Mike yeah. drop. <laughs> that is so important. I feel like everybody needs to take that to heart, especially during this time. It's the summer. Like, set yourself up. Go for all the opportunities. Why not? Yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting right now. I I applied for this big, I applied for Grace Hopper, which is a tech comp, a huge women in tech conference. Um, I found out tomorrow, it might be a no, but it was worth it to even apply. So we'll see. I love that. And then to be honest, don't you feel like when you put yourself out there, like that gives you more of those qualities to eventually find those yeses because you're trying things out, you're being reflective the process of going after what you want is so powerful. So everybody listening right now, think of something that you want and go after it and update us. Tell us how it's going. It'll, yeah. You know. Tweet me about it. Yeah. I exactly. hear it. <laughs> Jen, speaking of them reaching out to you and telling you how that goes for them, I want to make sure everybody here can stay connected. So do you mind sharing your Instagram, Twitter, kind of what platforms are you on? What do you prefer and how can people stay connected? Yeah, so I am primarily on Twitter. I love edgy Twitter. Um, my handle on Twitter is Jennifer underscore Manly. Manly like the adjective, so M-A-N-L-Y. Uh, on Instagram, I'm at JenManlyEDU, where you will see lots of pictures of my dog, Milton. <laughs> um, and then my website is JenniferManly.com. I blog there pretty frequently. Um, I'll be more frequent in the summer, so... Awesome. And you know, you can find all the links, all the resources, and everything we mentioned in this episode over at teachbetter.com, as well as all those really important links for connecting with Jen and keeping this conversation going. So head over to 
teachbetter.com for all of that. Be sure to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. And if you can give us a rating and review, we'd really appreciate that as well. Let's keep taking this just one step further. Think of just three of your colleagues who need to hear these amazing stories and connect with these amazing educators and share this podcast with them. Jen, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on. We had a blast. I'm so excited for people to listen to this episode and just soak up all your awesomeness and to continue to get to know you so that I can try to like push Ray out of the way and BBFFs with you. Um, I don't know if she's going to let me do that, but we're going to try. Oh, no way. Come on. Don't I'm, even try. She's too <laughs> <laughs> But really, really appreciate you. Thank you so much for taking time. Thank you. Thank you so much. And until next time, let's get out there. Let's teach better. Mm-hmm.